You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My time is yours. I was the last My man standing. For him, the man, and the man feels no pressure. Welcome to the Vicious Circle. Sid, how's your day going so far? Rob, it has been a great day so far. We've had a lot of fun today, haven't we? I have. I started off at church this morning and got back here with you and uh, Tito, which it was it was interesting to find out there was someone else in the business like myself that didn't didn't know anything about the business and and um Try to keep his family out of the business and uh, did a good job with himself. So that was good. We're both writing books, or his is written. I did find it odd that he never read it but <laughs> until recently. <laughs> From what I but, sounded uh, like, he was reading bits of it, kind of like you were doing it before. You were reading bits of it, but he never right. got to read the whole thing. Right, until after it was too late. He said, No, I wish he hadn't said that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I bet Barry wished I was like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm right there like every, not just every word, every letter of every word. Barry, that's wrong. <laughs> Barry's over there going, <laughs> why didn't I get Tito? <laughs> right, you know. Excellent. Well, let's do this second half of uh, going to the WWF. Um, I think the last place we left it, you had... Uh, done the barbershop. And like you said, that was that whole Hogan's on it, or not Hogan, uh, Brutus. And right. That was his last barbershop. Um, I think so. What I started watching after that, you had talked before too about how you did the same show city to city to city. And I noticed that a lot between that and the uh, February 18th, you did a lot of shows with Taker. Right. Was this the same kind of thing, too, like you said, where uh, you guys would almost have a routine going, and that would be the show? Right. Because these... No, you know, it's funny. This is how relaxed the business is. People realize, speaking of Undertaker, me and Undertaker worked with each other, man, I don't know how many times. Uh, Me as a baby face, me as a heel, back and forth. And we always, you know... uh, Always ended up being like at televisions. Uh, they advertised main events, you know, that sort of helped draw draw the house. So we'd have to go out and do a match in front of people that were actually trying to leave the building, and um, you know, you could see them leaving. So we had a we we looked at each other to go do a code present on us. Well, we had done a one of a television taking situation where we just went out, bing bing bing, and just got out of it. You know what I mean? Um, so you had these. Things that you, you know, matches you knew what you were talking about. You could look at each other, say it, and do it. 
Well, if I'm not mistaken, you guys did a match once with, or, sorry, I think it was with Brett, but uh, Ultimate Warrior was in it. And you guys just kind of looked at each other and said, well, we know what we're doing. We'll just go. <laughs> if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was me and Brett and Sean. Oh, it was Sean. That's what it was. Yes. Because right. Brett was the one with the interesting spots. Right. He was one of the, one of the spots were interesting. His conversation with himself was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> He, he, like, uh, I don't know if this is going to be good for Brad Hart. You know, when people got to that point, man, I just, man, I thought that was a little crazy. Well, and this is just aside from that uh, WWF talk, but when we were speaking with Tito, it's it's so hard to watch people in the business once they get a taste of it, and it's how right. how they adapt to that taste. You right. Know, you guys, like I said, you guys started out with meager means so when you got something you appreciated what you got where if if someone has a bunch of stuff and they get into it this is what they expect right and that's a good way of putting it rob i never thought of it like that i think that's it's it's, it's fascinating psychology so i that's why it's it's so interesting to talk with people like you and tito and stuff like to see that grounded area well you know that's something me and barry just wrote a little bit about um was psychology, where I learned it from, and how I used it later on, and how I actually stepped it up a notch or two. And, and we won't go into it, but Rob, uh, it actually had what you and I have talked about, the whip, getting off the whipping post. That's what I used to get off of that, with hard work on all other aspects. But psychology in the business is where it's at, man. No, I can see that. And that's got to be the thing, too. When you're doing these matches, like you said, uh, um you and Taker did a bunch of them together where you guys get into the ring and it's almost like autopilot. Does right. That, and, and is that a better feel or is that harder to do a match when you're in autopilot? No, usually, I mean, um, and this is a different thing. You know, all towns are different, especially different where you're at geographically. See, the Northeast or the South or the West Coast or the, you know, Northwest coast or Canada versus the U.S. or stuff like that. Uh, the crowds always were different. So, um, I'm sorry. What was your question, again, Ron? I got it. Just is it harder? I was thinking to do. <laughs> no, don't worry. I get ahead of my thoughts too. Is it harder to do an autopilot match? You know, like where you just get in there, you know what you're doing. Is it easier to to screw up? Well, it's all depends to yard. Remember, I told you the story like where. Uh, Vader was a hard worker, but his was like autopilot. Everything had to be the same. And the one time I made a change, it was just a silly little spot. When he got done, he said, hey, man, what was that change in the spot there? And I told him, he said, hey, man, don't I work really hard to make you look like a million bucks? I said, Jay goes, don't do that anymore. Where some people like Bigelow, would, uh, he would change his spot almost every night because he knew there had to be a little change because this crowd wouldn't be the same as the crowd the night before. So he was reading the crowd. Right. Okay. And that's why I say, again, uh, I know I get probably heat for this, but, you know, as, as far as everybody I met, you know, Harley Race had great psychology. Um, but Bam Bam, to me, is, is maybe not the best. No? Yeah, really. As far as psychology. And I'll tell you what proves that, Rob, is that 
he was put into a spot at WrestleMania with a guy, Lawrence Taylor, who was a football player. The business was on his ass. And he was the main event. And for him to take that match, for them to put him in that position, says he was probably the only one that could have done that. How much training did Taylor have? None at all. I mean, you know, very little. Oh, wow. Because that's, that's almost a dangerous thing to do. It is. And for him to pull it off, well, to pull it off, you know, I, I would never expect him not to pull it off. But to the, the one to put it, be put in that spot, now, I, I, I think that, but I heard, I remember, I remember all the boys watching that match because that was a hell of a deal, you know, to be main event with somebody, you know, that really didn't know what, not really did not know what they were doing and pull that off, you know, I would love to have been the one that they would have asked to have done that. Well, how I don't would, know if I could have done it. I was going to say, how would you have handled that? Man, I would. Have, I don't think I could have. But it would have nice to have been asked to. That would have meant, well, this guy knows what he's doing. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Yes. For them to ask Bigelow has to say that. And two, is, Bigelow was like me, uh, Rob. He was on the whipping post quite a bit. Um, he just didn't know when to shut up. It wasn't harmful things, but he, and he was a pretty smart guy too. But uh, he was on the whipping post, post quite quite a lot. So for it also be on the whipping post to be put in that spot says this guy knows what he's doing. Hmm. That that plays a large part in it too, though, doesn't it? It does. Interesting. You know, this is something too. When I when I first, you know, I was told how great Bam Bam was and I thought, wow, he's a every time I see him, he's always selling this face like he just got hit in it, which he had just got hit in it, but that was the deal is, he knew how to sell everything, you know, it's like, man after a while, he's going, man, it really looks like he's been punched in the nose, he just he knew what he was doing um, and again, he knew when to change things and, and what what was going on that night was or not happening as it was going the night before or the night after that. So that, now that makes him a better person to work with though, doesn't it? Right. It makes it, that's, that's the person you want to work with. So then, okay, well, we had this run with Taker. How was that working with him? He was easy to work with too. Uh, you know, it was, um, his character sometimes wasn't always easy to work with because it was a no sale type of deal. So you, Never could really get a, you know, gimmicks are hard and have done one as well humongous. Trust me, it's not the person doing the gimmicks. Sometimes it's just the gimmick itself. But um, we had good matches. They were gimmick matches, you know, like that. They weren't, they weren't one of the ages. Uh, like, this, I had some of my best matches as far as beginning to end, you know, how it went and how we kept, you know, kept the people. Um, probably with Bigelow as, as many as anybody I've done. Really? Because uh, yeah. going through there, like there was a lot with Taker, and then the next bunch we're going to get into, they seem to run you in almost a month long with just that same match. Which one, which one was that? Like I said, with, when they did Taker, it was almost a month, well probably about three weeks, but almost every day in that three weeks, you guys were doing that same match, just different cities. And I, I bet you when it, that was happening, that's when I first came in. 
and I was just a straight-up baby face, and we were doing those coffin matches. And he was doing those coffin matches with everybody. You know, yeah. and then that was the whole gimmick. I didn't realize that until I got there and saw what they were doing. But um, that was – now, to, those were good. <clears throat> those were easy. Uh, where we'd get in a coffin, and then I'd be – maybe he'd be on top of me, and as the coffin shut, we'd turn around, and as the coffin opened back up, I'd be on top of him. That was so easy, and the people were so easy. Those those were, you know, we had some. Those were good ones as well. Which for you was better? Was it would it be a gimmick match or would it be just a straight up match? Like you just said, the casket match was easy, but there's a lot of gimmick matches. Which would you prefer to do? You know, really, I just, you know, if given the chance, just a regular old match, just you know, it'd be a tag match and the basic heat. You know, you know, throw in the spots there to keep the guy alive. Whether it's a singles match, the same thing. Um, you know, like the cage matches, uh, battle royal matches, stuff like that. You can't really do a lot. You're limited, like not being able to come off the ropes, and really those kind of matches. It's just all just about just the finish. Uh, so the matches aren't really what you remember. You know. Okay. Well. In the, 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 the history that I got dug up here, you guys did that. You and Taker did those matches for a bit. Then they changed it up where they had um, you and Flair versus Hogan and Piper. And again, I think they're getting ready for WrestleMania here because they're keeping you and Hogan together in the, mat, in the ring. Right. And they did that for almost three weeks straight. But they had it where uh, Hogan would win by pinning Flair. So that you guys never had a win or loss together. Right. That was kind of an on-purpose thing? Well, what that was is to be able to take advantage of the where the heat was. Or the matches were the matches between me and uh, Hogan. And it was Piper and uh, Flair right in the match. Mm-hmm. Right. So Piper was just the added deal there. But um, we're, again... If Hogan and I wouldn't have to do much, and what the finish was was Flair was top. Uh, Hogan was topping Flair. I came in and whacked Hogan with a chair, and then somehow I got out of the picture, and they must have pinned Flair. But um, it was to get a little heat. Well, first it was to take advantage of what we had on TV, where we could draw a house, and that's how they made the money. And then there's also when you did that, wherever you were going through, those people saw me hitting him with a chair every night. So that would hopefully help the buy rate at the pay-per-view. Build up that story. Right. And it looks like that's what they did February 23rd, too. They had a 20-man battle royal, and it ended up with uh, you and Hogan at the end. But uh, you won, but it was definitely in contention because at one point you came in, you hit him with the doctor bag, and rolled, right. rolled him underneath their bottom rope and then woke up right. the ref. And the ref looked out, saw him out, and declared you the winner. You know, Rob, actually, I came up with that finish. Really? Yeah, the finish was supposed to have been I just stopped Hogan and throw him over the top rope and win the match. But I said, and this was really, this was a Memphis thing. I said, let's get some heat. And as Hogan's making his comeback, I'll waffle the referee. The referee walk around waffling. 
Harvey would give me that doctor's bag on Waffle Hogan with it and roll him under the bottom rope, wake up the referee and then show that, that he's over and you get the heat that I actually cheated. That was actually my finish. I think that's actually better because, like I said, if, of if you, it was. yeah, if you tossed him over the rope, that's an actual win over Hogan, which would de- right. decrease WrestleMania. <clears throat> See, that proves too. I was always thinking about the business. I wasn't worried about myself and what was best for Sid. No, yeah, because if you were going for Sid, you would have tossed him over the top. Yeah, take the cheap win. Yep. No, I like that. Right. And now I grabbed another match. We talked about it just a bit before we started recording. Uh, March 27th, and actually we found out 25th too, there is a steel cage against Savage. And you said you don't remember these matches. But I, I, I grabbed no, I them. It's fascinating because you did not do a lot of steel cage matches. No, I didn't. Now, was that I preference? No, it was just, no, it wasn't preference. It's just that it wasn't. This is the thing is, Rob, I was told... One is I would never probably be world champion because I didn't need a belt to draw money. And that was true for the most part. Um, the one time I had the belt with WWF was the only time it really meant anything where I did. It did help me draw more money. Um, really, the belt in WCW didn't help me, I don't think, do any greater than I could have done without it. But so now you're having the belt, you're not going to have to be in gimmick matches either. Because really what they told me that I really was a gimmick, you know, the way I looked and the way I came across. And so that's how it would be for me. And that's why I didn't, you know, usually cage matches were something that people were doing to blow off an angle, you know, or to, you know, make your match more interesting. Okay. And I can see it in a, in a revenge type situation too. Like if two people have a feud, right. then that's the ultimate answer kind of thing. Right. It's the ultimate. Uh, you can't, you can't run. It's usually, to keep the hill where he can't get out of the ring. You know, the basic thing they used to do is that he'd get out somehow or another. He'd get, you know, and then finally, you know, somebody would get in and help him. And the cage was there to keep people from coming in or going out. Gotcha. <clears throat> I actually had some good cage matches with Bret Hart. Really? Yeah. Um, we did them around the loop. I think we ended up actually doing it on TV one night. Um, but actually I took the, the suplex off the top of that cage every night for like a month. Oh, wow. And see, this throws me right back to what we were talking about with Tito and, and your body taking abuse and stuff to do that every night. That's got to take a toll on you. No, it does, man. You know, it's Bob Holly, the guy I was riding with most of them during that period right then. It was hard for me to walk each day because, you know, I, I got this. Uh, hematoma on my right top of my uh, butt and uh, it just wouldn't go away after that every night after night I mean it got hard to walk around for a, a couple of weeks after that oh I don't doubt it well and that's, there's a bit of a gap too because from March 27th to April 5th I couldn't find a match which is probably getting you rested because April 5th is Wrestlemania 8 and this was the big the, the final culmination of this Hogan Sid story um, right. what did you think going into this match, like uh, getting ready for WrestleMania? What was this to you? Man, honestly, Rob, I've told this people, I forgot sometimes after that, people said, you remember WrestleMania? I didn't know what they were talking about. And then they said that match. And I'd go, yeah, 
I really think I was just so bummed out of how everything went. I, I, I really wanted that. I really didn't want to be there. And then I didn't, um, I really was asked, ready to go after that. So it wasn't like a great memory. I do remember it being weird being that small in front of that many people, you know, um, I don't even remember the finish. I forgot that I power bombed him. Um, I remember the warrior coming in. I don't. I don't think I was told that that was going to happen. Uh, not that I didn't need to be told. <laughs> you know, I wasn't trying to hide anything from myself. I was upfront about everything. So, really, not. You know, it wasn't. You know, again, that's where everything was supposed to have happened for me, and, and uh, it was probably the worst it had been for me the whole time. Well, I'm going to jog your memory just a bit with the end, because once I get to tell you the end, I think you'll remember, because you were the only person to ever kick out of the leg drop. You know, when people tell me that, I forget that, too. Yeah, this um, was that match. And and I see what happened, too, from, from what I understand. Papa Shango was supposed to do a run-in. And right. he was late. <laughs> Was, Is that what happened? That's that's from what I understand. That's what happened. He was very late, and you, you knew you weren't supposed to have a legit lose, so you kicked out. See again, I swear, man. I do remember one thing um, when they, of course, they knew I told Vince at Albany I, I just couldn't stay any longer. When they know you're on your way out, they treat you bad, and I should have known that. Like when we were doing interviews for WrestleMania, I guess I was going WrestleMania. And then instead of them just tell me that, they had up on the board and said, Tell Sid, just say mania. <laughs> oh. Because again, they don't like me at that point. Oh, I, I remember you saying that before. So yeah. now, with this one here, um, I, and I noticed too afterwards, I, I didn't notice it then because I, I did remember, I do remember watching that pay per view actually. But it wasn't until I started researching, I noticed afterwards, you're the only person to ever kick out of Hogan's leg drop, and it was never, ever mentioned. Yeah, I don't even remember it, I swear I don't. Hmm. But then, yeah, it was a couple minutes later, Papa Shango came out, and that's when, you know, the, the row started. Now, now we're getting to the end of your first run, because April 26th is your last match. And I have seen two things listed for your departure reason. Because these last couple matches were against the Warrior. The one that I did see uh, the most was that it was a disagreement with the Warrior. And you ended up after that last match on the 26th, you just walked out and quit that night. And the second one was that before WrestleMania, that you had failed a drug test. And that they allowed you to finish. You did a European tour just before that. And then when you came back, you, you were have, supposed to have a suspension but you decided to quit instead of the suspension. No. So let's what happened was, I, I, we talked about it. I gave a notice in Albany. And Vince said, please stay to WrestleMania. And we talked about it, and I said, all right, I'll stay to then. Then he came to me and said, okay, you know, after uh, they're not going to do the baby face thing, it was shot out of the water with all the mistakes and problems it had. So he says, you know, we're going to make you the biggest heel of all time. And, um, and I said, okay, I'll try this. So it was the first night I was working with the Warrior in Baltimore, and he came to me and said, I'm going to throw you in clothesline, clothesline, and you take the powder, and then I'll shake the ropes. I said, no, you'll come in. I'll stop you. I'll send you off and give you a clothesline. 
I'll pick you up. I'll send you off again. You'll duck my clothesline. You'll give me one clothesline. Then I'll take a powder. He said, he looked up to the top of the dressing room. He said, will the stars tell the ultimate warrior? And I thought, come on, man. <laughs> I, I can't take you anymore. So I walked out at Jack Lanz. I said, man, is this real? And he looked at me like, yeah, yeah. And so I said, Jack, this is the deal. Uh, I'm going to do this tonight. You tell Vince if this shit didn't get changed by tomorrow, which was Boston Gardens. I said, this will be the, my last night. Tomorrow will be my last night. And so when I got there in Boston, they said, we couldn't get in touch with Vince. I knew it was the lie. And said, uh, I said, okay. I said, I'll do what uh, you guys have asked. And they, and they wanted him to kick out of my finish. And so um, uh, that's, that's, that was it. I went home and I wouldn't answer the phone. I got my lawyers to get me out of the contract. And I went back to WCW. And that was that's the, the that was that's the, the honest one hundred percent truth. Yeah. Well, that was. So again, I gave my I gave my notice in Albany, but that's what I really wanted to do, and um, I think that's why Vince brought the Warrior and Papa Sean going to something they didn't tell me about, knowing that I already told them, which I don't think anyone even would have gave them that much, you know, courtesy, you know, which I did, you know. No, that's very true. I've seen so many stories where people just walk out. You know, they just leave. So, so now you've completed your first run in the WWF. Um, when you look back at that that chunk of time, what is the biggest takeaway, positive and negative, you have? Like, what's the the biggest thing you you thought you did right, and what's the biggest thing you learned that you should have done different? Well, the one thing I learned was I learned the. When I talk about to be the top of this business, you have to learn all facets. I learned the facet of drawing money <clears throat> and what the, some of the things that took you to get there, which WCW never really picked up on or knew how to do, how to use storylines or how to get over, you know, better ways to get in over. Uh, one thing WWF didn't know, I think they ever, never did know, is how to get a heel over, uh, but WCW didn't know how to get a baby face over. And I saw those things. So I learned that. I learned the the art of how to draw money and how important it was and how hard it was because not everybody succeeds at that. I saw a lot of people fail. I failed a few times myself. So that I learned. One thing I, 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 when I look back on the negative side is that it was a stupid decision to walk away from guaranteed money into an environment like that I do nothing about. Um, that was the downside. Just out of curiosity, then, with hindsight, like sitting here looking at this now, do you think you would, let's say you're back at that moment again to accept the WWF contract, knowing what you could learn in the WWF about the heels and about the face, like to make it better, would you still do it? No. No, it would be a no. No. The thing is, you know, um, now, Did it give me advantage the second time? Yeah, it did. You know what I mean? So I needed that. So it's, I don't know. That's a, it's a hard to say. Because if I didn't have the knowledge from the first time, the second time when I was on the whipping post from the beginning, I don't know if I could have withstood that. So I probably, now that I know everything, I probably would have left it like it was. 
Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you needed that knowledge before you went back as Psycho Sid. Right. Gotcha. Because, man, that was... I think I did something that no one in the business did, and that's, you know, be hated so bad and still get back to the real top and then, you know, to be used well, be made world champ and all this and all that. Um, I don't think I would have done that if I didn't have the experience from what I learned the first time. Um, I mean, you can imagine how miserable that would have been if just... You know, of course, um, I wouldn't have been on the whipping post if I hadn't gone the first time, you know. Oh, yeah, so I true. don't know, <laughs> Rob. I, I, I probably would say I wish I hadn't gone. Yeah, that's a tricky question. That always is. What would you do different? You can never know. You can never know. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can't get a good question now, though. All right. My time is yours. And now time for a question. We have Steve from Burlington. Steve, what have you got for us? Well, hey, Sid, how you doing? Um, um, one of the things I've seen on the Internet was a video of you at WCW where you jumped off the top rope to you know, kick Big Papa Pump, but you landed incorrectly and it broke your leg. Um, that looked kind of painful. Um, I've heard interviews where you're telling you like, what, what, what happened during the match, but my big question is what happened... After that, I mean, like, after you went to the hospital, how long did it take you to get actually get the courage to get back into the ring after something like that? Well, it was, man, it was years actually before I got back to the ring. But what happened as soon as I got to the hospital, they took me into surgery. They removed my kneecap, hammered a titanium rod in my tibia, you know, screwed it in right below my knee and then right above my ankle. And then um, my wife showed up at the airport, and then within a day or so, we went home. And then for the first month, I just had to stay in bed. I couldn't get out of bed for one month. And then um, after that, started the long uh, rehab um, process. When did you get back into the ring next? I'm going to tack on that last. Man, you know, honestly, Rob, I have to think about that. Um, it had to be a year or so before I got back in and I wasn't sure about it. You know, when you, what, what happens is you lose all the feeling down there. And, um, my one leg is a little shorter than other. And I didn't know until after a few years after for years, I didn't know for three and a half years that I wasn't even going to be able to run again. They didn't even tell me that. So, um, I had to do everything in short distances and stuff like that. I had the ability to run like bleaches pretty good and run like a, a hill that was uh, I could go uphill. The flat ground was hard, so I just did what I could and got back to where I could and and did the best I could. Excellent, thanks a lot. Uh, following up with that, I mean, with an injury like that, um, for for you, was it like, hey, I can get back to the ring no problem, or did you actually think like, uh, I don't know if I want to continue with this anymore? Well, th- this is funny, Steve. Honestly, I right before I broke my leg, I was. Um, and I was 40, and at 40, I wanted to retire. So um, I was thinking about going to, I was working with WCW and see if I had an idea, see if they had an idea of somehow where I could go ahead and say within a year from now, a year and a half now, I'm going to be finished up, and then we'll finish up in a good way where you, know, you give it all you give it all back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you do, that's what our business is. That's what we do in this business. And before I could even, get that out uh, or get that talked about 
this thing with my leg broke. So I never really got a chance to uh, do what I wanted to try to do. But I was already ready to give it up, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Me and my wife had talked about it for over 40. It was about, about where I was going to call it quits. And so I had, you know, I, after just going through a really major shoulder deal, shoulder surgery, I said, man, I'm going to get one more deal, end up, you know, be able to help someone maybe be over stronger than they were. And that's what we do in the business. And before I could ever get to that point, I, I broke my leg. Ouch. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the question, Steve. And Sid, I guess we'll be getting ready for our next episode. All right. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.